we will jump right into our deeper life time. So I'm thankful you guys are here. Thanks for braving the pavement confusion. Um, so let's pray. Father, we love you. I thank you so much for everyone in this room. I thank you for this opportunity that we have to grow in our discipleship together, that we can uh, learn together, and that we can uh, see you move in, in, our, in, around, in, in and around us here in this church. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'll come, that you will uh, speak to us, strengthen us, uh, and grow us and stretch us in your name. Amen. Amen. So this, uh, the deeper life stuff that we're going to be walking through, a lot of it is compiled from a course that I took in Nyack College, uh, and I trained in teaching it under my mentor, Ron Walborn, uh, who put together, I'd say, 75% of the content that we're going to be going through. Excuse me. If you've read any of my books, I talk about this class, almost every book, I think maybe every book, because it was such a significant uh, change in my understanding of God, in my understanding of discipleship. Uh, I am the man, the husband, and the pastor uh, that I am today, largely because of this transformative uh, teaching in my life. Now, you guys are older saints, Uh, you know, most of you are older saints, so some of this might be old hat. For you, uh, some of it might be new. You know, my prayer is that a lot of it will be new. Um, so today we're just, we're dipping our toes. We're, it's the intro to spiritual formation or the introduction to deeper life. I also teach these courses uh, at Tacoa Falls College. So I do these for the online uh, teaching. And so this is CMA approved all over the board. So NIAC, Tacoa, um, so you can rest assured of that. But we're going we're gonna to jump in. You have your, your papers there, and I, I will do my best to fill in every blank you have. Sometimes uh, that's the older version that you have with you. I have the newer version of the course, so it might be a little bit off, and I can help you later. But the, the garden concept of spiritual formation, talking about imagine a garden, uh, your, that your spiritual formation, your deeper life, your growth with the, with the Lord is like a garden. So we're going to utilize that that. Uh, imagery throughout the evening so that we can kind of capture what, what the Bible talks about as, as God's part of our, of our uh, growth and what is our part in our spiritual growth. So that's kind of the, the, the whole thing. Uh, so when we talk about spiritual growth and we talk about the importance of growing as a disciple, some say it's all about right doctrine. That if you have right doctrine, everything is right. You're totally fine. Uh, You don't need anything else but right doctrine, some would say. Some would say it's right behavior. That if your behavior is right, as long as you're doing the right thing, you're growing. That's that's all you need is right behavior. Some would say it's right ministry. Uh, I know I'm going through these a little bit fast, so sorry about that. Excuse me. Some would say it's about right ministry. As long as you're serving, as long as you're in ministry... Then you're growing. You're, you're, you're a disciple. You have the right tools to be a disciple. And that's all you need. In recent, in recent generations, some would say it's about right experiences. Well, you're growing when you have the right experience with God. If, you know, some would say the right doctrine, if you have the right beliefs, if you have the right orthodoxy, you're good. Some would say if you have the right orthopraxis, the right behavior, then you're good. If you have the right service, the right ministry... And then my generation, the younger generation, seems to think that experiences are the most important piece of all of discipleship. And so they will say it's about right experiences. 
Forget the doctrine, forget the behavior, forget the ministry. Are you experiencing what you're supposed to be believing? However, the truth is it's all about right relationship. If we're in right relationship with God, say for example, I'm getting to know Carol. And I'm in right relationship with her, I'm going to want to know more about her. So I'm going to have the right doctrine of God because I'm going to want to be in right relationship. I want to know how does God speak to me? How does God, what does God say about himself? What does God say about me? And so I'll be hungry for the word. Just like I want to get to know Carol or I want to get to know Tim. I'm going to spend time with you. I'm going to read the letters that you would have written. I'm going to talk to you on the phone. Uh, That right relationship, that connection can then transfer through right doctrine, right behavior. Like for Hillary, I love my wife. And if we have a right relationship, I can know and I know how I can love her best and how I can behave in a way that causes her to feel loved. The same is true when we have intimate relationship with God. Our right behavior will happen. When we have a a deep communion, some people say, well, how about countries of people that know about Jesus but don't have the Bible? How do they live the gospel? Well, they live the gospel because of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is living within them, guiding them and directing them on how to live. Some people that don't even have the Bible can quote Bible verses to you because they're so filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, we have to read. We have to be in the Word. We have to understand right doctrine. We have to test it. And that's, but that's all part of that flows out of right relationship. Because if all we have is right doctrine, then we just know about God. We don't know God. If all we have is right behavior, we don't know what God says about himself or right about, our, about us. If we just have right ministry, we might be serving the Lord, but we don't know if we're serving in the right capacity or the right manner. Or even are we in the right church? There are some dangerous churches that have false doctrines about many different things. And then right experiences, you can, you can take experiences to the nth degree in our culture today and say, oh, well, it just felt right, so I did it. Um, but it has to be about right relationship. That's where all of those can become solid. Excuse me, Dallas Willard, in his book, Spirit of the Disciplines, he says this. I have a little bit of a cold, so I apologize. He said, the intentional and continuous ordering of one's orientation toward living all of life in the spirit. This is what spirituality is in the Christian definition. Christian spirituality necessitates a willing surrender to the reigning presence of Christ. It is more a relational process than a list of do's and don'ts. You surrender to Jesus as king over everything. Thoughts, words, and deeds. And when we surrender to Christ, over, uh, surrender everything to Christ, we're saying, you direct my path. You tell me how I'm to live. And so we offer him everything. Um, many times when, when we get stuck in a discipleship that's all about right behavior, behavioral modification, we can really develop false disciples. Because they might look good on the outside, but their heart is a mess on the inside. And you can easily pretend right behavior when you don't have the right heart or the right relationship, you know. So it's important that we, when we talk about Christian spirituality, we talk about this garden concept. In the garden, it's, it's a, an aspect of surrender. We're saying, God, you have access to everything. Um, so that's, that's the, the definition uh, of spirituality that we're going to be running through uh, during this course. Spiritual formation, then, what does it mean to be spiritually formed? This is just another word for deeper life or discipleship. But a lot of people get a little bit weary, wary of it because it seems mystic. Uh, it's too Catholic for some people. Uh, so if you want to transform that to disciple, you know, discipleship formation or deeper life, going deeper with the Lord, formation of a deeper connection. 
He says this, Robert Mulholland, Invitation to a Journey. It's a really good book. It's, it's, uh, some parts are a little bit dry, but the majority of it is, is really good. And he says this, Spiritual formation is a process of being conformed to the image of Christ for the sake of others. Now, one of the words I don't really like in there is the idea of being conformed. Uh, I think it should be transformed. That spiritual formation is a process of being transformed to the image of Christ for the sake of others. Now, one of the things that, that hits me really hard about this, and, I, and I, I think it's something that we need to step and stop and rest on for a second, is that when it says that we're being formed and transformed into the image of Christ, it's not just for ourselves. Our spiritual growth is not just for our own sake. Now, in the Western culture, too often our salvation and our growth and our discipleship becomes simply an individualistic thing. But it's meant to transform communities, not just people. The gospel is so much bigger, so much bigger than just one person. So when we are filled to overflowing, that means that when we spend time with other people, that we're splashing Jesus on them. Does that make sense? It's like that sense of overflowing. And so we are being formed into the image of Christ for our sake, but also for the sake of others. So that we can be Jesus to the world. So that's the process or the, the definition of deeper life, spiritual formation, or uh, a deeper discipleship. So the garden concept. The problem, I think, when it comes to current ideas of discipleship, of the way the Western culture has moved towards uh, behavioral modification or, um, uh, uh, what is it, therapeutic MTD, um, moralistic therapeutic deism, where it's this idea of everything needs to be right behavior. You have to uh, have God kind of separate. He's not really involved in your inner life. But then, you know, it's therapeutic. It feels, it feels good. You're supposed to feel good in your, in your walk with Christ. But all of that, the problem is that there's a misunderstanding of grace. What, what is grace? Paul had to talk to the early church about grace all the time. And Dallas Willard in his book, The Divine Conspiracy, he said, God's grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. So much of Western discipleship is about earning. Whether we know it or not, it's this sense of well, we're trying to please God so we can earn more, so we can earn something from him, that we can earn a reward. And God's grace, it's, it's not about earning at all. It's about God's giving you something freely. It's God's free gift. And then we strive and strive and strive and strive. But our relationship with God is not one about striving. It's about one of resting. Jesus talks about this to Mary and Martha. And the story where Martha's in the kitchen and she's getting really frustrated because it's not working. Hey, come on. There's papers right there for you. And she's getting really frustrated because it's, you know, she's in the kitchen by herself. And there's Mary just sitting down, hanging out with Jesus. And she gets upset. She goes out there and she's like, hey, hold on a second. I'm working for Jesus here. I'm trying to make him food. I'm trying to make him happy. What are you doing? Poor Jesus is not going to have any food in his belly because you're not helping. And Jesus stops her and he says, hold on. What, what's more important is this. Sitting and resting. This is the most important piece. And we have the grace and the opportunity to do that. And when we have right relationship, when we understand the idea of grace, we'll have a deeper connection and intimacy with God because we're not trying to make him love us. We're resting in his love. And when we're resting in his love, the love is transformative to the point where we want to do what the scripture calls us to do. We want to spend time 
with Jesus. One of the things I always, whenever I interact with people and they say, well, I'm just, I'm just not hungry. I just don't want to read the Bible. I say, well, do you want to be with God? Do you, do you want to spend time with him? Or do you feel like you're forcing yourself to be with him? Now, if, I'm, if, if I have to hang out with Ed, right? If someone says to me, Marv, you have to go hang out with Ed. He, you just need to. He needs a friend right now. Go. Now, I might go because I love, I want to take care of Ed. But I might be thinking about all the other things I need to do because I just uprooted myself and I'm forcing myself to hang out with Ed. Not that I would ever have to do that. I force myself to do that. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a sense of begrudging. But in our discipleship, there should be a sense of desire, desire to be with the Lord. And so when we rest in his love, when we rest in his grace, our desire will grow. Tozer, one of the things that he always said about discipleship that I, I always cling on to is he said, in those moments when I don't want God, my prayer is, God, I want to want you. Help me to want you. Now, it seems simple, but it's one of those important things where it's like, okay, I know I have a connection. I, he is my father. I, I should want to want to be with him. So Holy Spirit, transform my heart. I want to want you. And when we rest in the grace properly, not trying to earn God's love, but resting in God's love, it becomes a whole lot easier to do what the scriptures call us to do. Um, because we're moving from love, not for love. So the next thing, uh, grace defined. James Ryle He's since passed, he, uh, last year or two. But he had this beautiful definition of God's grace. He said, grace is God's empowering presence, enabling us to be all we were created to be, and enabling us to do all we were created to do. God's grace, his unmerited favor, is enabling us to be the most full human that we were created to be. Because in our fall, in our fallen nature, we broke what humanity was supposed to be. Humanity was not meant to be what it is. This is not what God had in his original design. That's why we call the fall. We have the brokenness of what it is now. But God's grace, even though we've sinned, gives us the ability to be the full human that he designed and developed us to be. So we can live in the, full, the fullness of, of who we're supposed to be and in our relationship with him. If you remember, in, in the garden... The first garden, not in Revelation, but in the first garden, when Adam and Eve sinned, the first thing they did was what? Hide from God. Hide. They hid from God. Relationship was severed. Here, what he's saying is grace is that we don't have to hide, that we no longer have to hide. Jesus, or God in the garden, when they were hiding, he pursued them. They were not pursuing him. They had ran away. They had run away. And they had recognized were naked. They were ashamed. Before the fall, they did not know what shame was. After they did, they were ashamed. And they, they hid themselves thinking that God could never love them again. But he went after them. And he went into the garden. He said, where are you? Where are you? And they came out of hiding. And, and they talked about how they were naked. And they, he asked, how did this happen? And then he did something Remarkable. He killed the first animal, took the skins, and clothed Adam and Eve with them. That was God's grace. He didn't have to do that. He could have ended it right there and said, Oh, well, this isn't what I designed it. This isn't what it was supposed to be. Let's just start from scratch and do it again. But he didn't do that. He clothed them. That's God's grace. When we have the, we can put on Christ, as Colossians says, it's that same imagery from Genesis, the garden imagery that we can put on Christ, that that. 
that animal, that skin, was God putting righteousness back upon man. And that's what Christ does for us in the, in the cross. It gives us justification and the imputed righteousness of Jesus. So it starts in, this, in, in the garden. Now God's part. What is God's part in our development? In our spiritual growth? What is God's part? In, in Mark 1. And here's, here's, a, here's a sneak answer. I've already talked about it in our Ephesians series. So you'll probably remember it when I say it. But after John was put in prison... Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. God's part, one of the parts that God plays in our growth in the garden concept are the chirotic moments. The times when God brings events together for optimum kingdom growth. So those moments where God puts us into a specific time and into a specific moment to grow. This right here for you is a chirotic moment, a time and a season that God put together, that you're at Indiana Alliance Church, and I'm at Indiana Alliance Church, and we can walk through growth together. This is a moment that God has put into a season of my life and a season of your life for kingdom growth, where we're here purposely learning more about him. But there are those times, those chirotic moments that we talked about in, in our series on Ephesians that God puts together that we have to be able to recognize when we're in intimate relationship with God and God is doing something in a moment, we can feel the Holy Spirit saying, this is, this is a time for you to grow. You need to step out in faith or you need, to, you need to, to say, to release something that I'm telling you to release over someone or whatever it is, those, those, there's those moments. And I talked about the chirotic moment that I missed. Uh, if you remember the story of the girl who... Um, God, she was the giant eagle checkout girl, and, and I was, you know, he said, okay, talk to her about her cutting, and I didn't, and she kept popping up in my life, and I still didn't. And then in that moment, I felt God not separate from me, but he was silent for a couple of months because he, it was kind of like that, well, if I'm going to talk to you and you're not listening, I'm just going to stop talking for a while. Uh, and it wasn't a punishment. It was just a step back of saying, okay, you just need to understand the importance of these chirotic moments, the importance of when I say move, it's important for us to move. And so that's God's part, is to put the times and the seasons together for optimum kingdom growth. So our part, we need to repent. When the Holy Spirit brings about conviction of sin, we need to repent. If we, we can block our growth with the Lord through unrepentance, if the Lord keeps knocking on a door and says, you need to get rid of this sin, you need to repent of this now, and we are unrepentant and we refuse to repent of that sin, we're basically saying, I don't want you in this part of my life. We're blocking him off. We're saying, no, I don't want to go any deeper because I want this. I want to do this. This is what I want to do. Um, and so our part, in order to grow, when the season comes, when God is bringing that optimum time for repentance in our life, we need to take it. We need to repent of the sin so that we can allow God to go deeper and to do more work. So many saints go through life where the Holy Spirit is knocking and knocking and knocking and knocking and knocking for years and years and decades. And they live in unrepentant sin. And they wonder, why have I never grown deeper with the Lord? It's because you're telling him you don't want to. Yes? Is repentance being addressed in the first place? You have to have, have, to have that relation to start with. Say that, I'm sorry, say that again. I said, you 
you know, what's the, uh, you know, that's talking down the road. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't hear anything about repentance to start with, um, turning to the Lord to begin that relationship. Well, yeah, the assumption is that we're talking as people who are already saved. Like, we're not talking, we're not going to the beginning. We're saying... Well, we I'm thinking of two of people that I see, and you really, you know, only the Lord knows, but it does say to judge them by the fruit. You know, yeah. are we talking about repentance? Are we were assuming that, uh, you know, some of those that are going to say, Lord, Lord, I, he's going to say, I never knew you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, some of them may have never initially repented. You know, I think one of the dangerous things about um, evangelism that has happened in in the history of uh, of Christianity, many times it does move from the hey, there there is sin in our life and it's difficult. Uh, this is going to be a tough road if you receive Christ. It's not going to be easy. But we've made it sound like all you have to do is say a prayer and you're done. It's going to be easy. It's floating on the clouds after that. Uh, but there, there's that no, okay. We are saved. There is, there is salvation, but there's also deep, honest repentance. And we're going to turn away from something to turn towards Him. Um, so, yeah, you're right. There's also the fact of believing. Now, when the Lord says something in the Scriptures, you and I must believe it. If I hang out with, with Carol or I hang out with Steve and I don't believe a word he says, our, our relationship's not going to go very deep. I won't be able to trust him. I won't be able to, to really... Say, oh yeah, Steve's one of my best friends because he says things and I, you know, I don't believe it. <laughs> that doesn't happen, right? We have to believe when we look at the scriptures and, and say, okay, God, you say this in the word. I'm going to believe it because you said it. I'm going to believe it because I know I've seen it in my life. I've seen the fruit of, that, of this belief in other people's lives. But we, we have got to believe it. And that's one of the things that um, I've seen in modern Christianity is that we try and excuse away some things that God says that should be ours or things that God says that we could be doing. And we say, oh, well, that, that was just for then. Or, you know, that's, I don't really know if that's, that's really what God is trying to say about that. But it's very clear as day in many ways that God is saying, this is going to be your inheritance. This is how you are going to live on the earth. The promise in John saying that you are going to do more than I ever did. I mean, there, there's clear scriptural backing to the fact that we need to own and believe what Jesus says about himself and about us and about our call and our mission. And then faith. Uh, faith does not create reality. It accesses what God has already made real. So faith and belief are pretty similar. But many times people will say, well, if you just have faith, you'll get that, that BMW. Right? Well, it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't create reality. God has already offered you and I riches in the kingdom. Now, God can sometimes, if he wants to, transform that into monetary blessing. But that's not the normative moment of what God does when it comes to to inheritance and blessing. Inheritance and blessing in the scripture is saying, you know, if you believe this, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you'll see this. It is a faith and then this. And I've never seen a car or millions of dollars when he says, if you have faith, this will happen. You know, faith will bring healing. Faith will bring community transformation. Faith will bring transformation within a family. And so our part is to repent, to believe, and have faith. When we have that chirotic moment and God is saying something to us, and God is moving us in that moment, we need to believe and have faith and step out in faith. Um, so a couple verses that, that kind of talk about these, these concepts. In Titus 2, 11 through 12, it says... 
For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. This is the repentance. That if we're, God's grace gives us the ability to repent. Without grace, you and I wouldn't have the opportunity to turn away from that which is killing us. We would just be left to be killed by it. But because God's grace happens, you and I have the opportunity to repent and believe that when we turn to Him, that we can turn away from those things. You know, um, And you could stop me with any questions that you have. But 1 Corinthians 3, 5-9, uh, Paul is talking to the church in Corinth and they... They have this really high view of themselves, and they, they follow what's called a patron system. And there would be philosophical patrons who are the top dogs in philosophy in their, in their city. And so they kind of put this into the church, and they say, well, I follow Apollos. He's the better teacher. He's the better uh, you know, disciple, or I follow Paul. Well, so, and then some get really wise, he says, and they're like, well, I follow Jesus. Uh, you know, so, and so it's just like this huge argument. So what he says is, what after all is Apollos, and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you come to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it. But God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. He's saying in that moment that, that God's job, that chironic moment in, the, in our lives, he's the one who brings about growth. We have people and things and places that might plant seeds. And we might plant seeds in people's lives. Or we might bring the water to people's lives. But it is not our job to bring about people's growth. It is His and His alone. And it is not anyone else's job to bring about our spiritual growth. We must be surrendered and allow Him to grow us. You and I, through unrepentance, unbelief, and no faith, we can block the growth that God wants to do in our lives. We must be surrendered to it. But you and I cannot make it grow. Only he can. And that's Paul's purpose is saying I, he, God brings about the time and the seasons. He is the garden grower. Uh, he's the sun that, that grows, the, grows the garden. So the seed of God, this idea of God developing the seed within us and causing the growth. So it, you know, it says in here, uh, so it says, I planted, but God made it grow. Um, he plants the seed in the garden of our life. So in, in 1 John it says, No one is born of God. Uh, no one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. Now people say, well, believers sin all the time. What this is saying is they can't go on and sin without feeling the ramifications or the necessity of conviction and repentance. When, to your point, if someone can continue on sinning and never feel convicted, then you have to ask the question is, by your fruit, is, did this really transpire in your life? And, and some people will have the convicted guilt, will never do anything about it because they want to do what they want to do. But some people, you could tell, they don't have any conviction. It, it's clear that they just don't care what they're doing. Um, that's where you can ask that question. Now, we're not the judge, like you said. But this, what he's saying is when God's seed is birthed in a person, when it goes into the soul of a man, sin bothers that person. Mm -hmm. 
It annoys them. It, it's kind of like, oh, man, I got to stop doing that. Now, the enemy can use that and build shame and, and make us hate who we are and believe that God hates who we are. But the Holy Spirit brings the conviction. So this word seed is actually the same word that we use for sperm, sperma. It's God implanting himself into our lives to make the egg of our heart and our soul grow. It's, it's crazy how God uses all kinds of different imagery that our language just is terrible at doing. <laughs> for you have been born again, not of perishable seed, again sperma, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. God's word grows within us. The seed of God. When we hear the word of God, when we hear right doctrine, when we have the this, this sperma of God within us, we know in our knower when something is wrong or something is right. And, and this is where discernment needs to be developed and flowed because some people who trust other people in their discipleship, like, for example, not that Steve would ever say this, but Steve could say, I, grow, I, I come into a church and I believe Jesus and it was a real transformation. And Steve is one of the elders at the church and he says, you know what, it's okay to divorce your wife. The Bible's okay with that. Now, that might feel weird, but I'm like, well, he says it, so I'm going to trust him. Right? Because he's, he's been through this, this process a lot longer. That's why Paul is so adamant in the church in Ephesus that you do not allow false teachers within your church. You give these strict rules on who, who you allow to have power and authority because of that very same thing. People will be tricked into it and their discernment will be knocked out because they're trusting this other person. And so we have to allow the seed of God to really hit us. If something that we know is wrong, someone's saying something that in our heart we're just like, I, I, no, that is not right. We need to go back to the scripture and see, okay, is this within our hearts? Is this the seed of God saying that what the word of God is, that this is absolutely incorrect? Now, there are certain things that are what I call non-salvific. So the church wrestles and, and deals with the idea of the end times. Is, is it this way or is it that way? Now, that, that's a non-salvific debate. And, and it really doesn't matter if you believe in one or over the other. You're going to go to heaven. Do you believe in heaven and hell? Do you believe that Jesus is coming back? Those are the key theology issues. But we can't wander around those different issues. Anyways, I'm rabbit trailing. This is why I have a manuscript when I preach because I could just talk forever. But the reality is, is that the seed of God uh, will know what's right and what's true. We have to trust our discernment when the Holy Spirit speaks, but we also have to test it. You know, we talk about test the spirits in 1 Thessalonians, that we need to say, okay, maybe I might be wrong, but we, we need to really test this and work it out. But there will be that sense, the, the, the seed of God within us, we can tell. They're, they're, we get uneasy. Um, so maybe you've experienced that just with sin, or you've heard someone on the radio. I've heard people preaching on the radio, well-known guys, and I'm like, ooh. I don't know if he should have said that. I don't know if that's true. Um, but anyways, so our job, if you're looking at a garden, is, is watering and weeding. So God is the planter of the seed. God is the one who brings the times and the seasons to optimum growth. God is the one who brings that about in our lives. You and I cannot work harder or work uh, smarter to make ourselves grow faster. It's about surrendering ourselves to the Lord and saying, I need you to grow me. 
And then we allow when he says, go read the word or spend time with me here, we do it. We say yes. One of the greatest parts of growth is saying yes to the Lord. When we say yes, we're stepping out in faith and saying, and we'll want to spend time with him. Like I had said before you guys came, it's about right relationship with the Lord. Because if we have right relationship, we're going to want to be with him. We're going to want to read his word. We're going to want to understand what he says about himself, who he is. It, it'll just be an intrinsic desire, just like when you found your spouse. You know, when you met Jill, you're like, oh, i got to hang out with that lady a little bit more. There's something about her I want to know. You know, and even now, Hillary and I have been married 12 years. I still want to know more. I still find out more about my wife that I had never known before. Um, so anyways, sorry, again, another tangent. But our, our goal, our job is watering and weeding. So... 1 Peter 2, 1 through 2 says, Therefore, rid yourselves of malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. It's that idea of growing up. We're to rid ourselves, to weed these things out of our lives. When we give the Holy Spirit access, we ask, just take these things out. I need to repent. This is the thing that's causing me to fall. My malice is what's causing me to fall into this sin. My deceit is what's calling me, causing me to fall into this sin. Um, and so we, we weed it out of our life. We recognize it. We name it. And we pluck it. And we allow the gardener to pluck it from our lives. The watering aspect. The nourishment. So here we're going to rest on these questions. I know... Um, this is where we're, we're going to kind of rest for a while and, and look at these questions because they're important when it comes to the idea of our spiritual growth. So what are the habits, who are the people, and where are the places that nourish the seed of God? So in our lives, we have the seed of God. If we believe that Jesus Christ died, rose again, and sent the Holy Spirit for our, for our growth, and we believe he died for our sins, conquered Satan's sin and death, and then he rose again and conquered all of that, uh, then, then we have the seed of God within us if we truly believe it. It's not just a, a wishful thinking or a prayer that we pray. We own it. We say, yes, I need to repent of my sins. I need to be cleansed. I need Jesus. We, I don't know if you remember a couple weeks ago, I said everyone needs a hero. <laughs> Is Jesus our hero? Has he rescued us? And if that's true for us, we have the seed of God. So there are habits and there are people and there are places that help nourish that seed of God in our lives. That help water it. Like, uh, like he said in 1 Corinthians, Apollos uh, planted and I watered. So let's, let's, uh, let's chat with one another. What are the habits in your lives that you know nourish a seed of God within you? What habits do you have that you know when you do that habit, when you live into that, the seed of God is just nourished. You're watering that. I say this for uh, fear of, some fear of sounding self-righteous. I say that as a preface. Okay. And I want to say this to help. But when I get up in the morning, first things I say are, Dear Father, please forgive me. Thank, no, thank you for, for your forgiveness mm-hmm. uh, for, for sin. Thank you for it. And fill me with your precious Holy Spirit mm-hmm. so that I may, Jesus may live through me and Father, you may be glorified. And I, I say that because on the second part, I've heard of Dr. Robert Cook, who has been my spiritual mentor on the radio mm-hmm. three, 20 years ago. To, he recommended that prayer. Mm-hmm. I only share it now because he shared it with me to share it with others. And yeah. 
And uh, man, if I if I don't clear my mind like that in the morning, I live a fleshly, thinking I'm a rotten person existence and yeah. feeling like a nothing, <clears throat> unless the Holy Spirit fills me and lets Christ live through me and be the Christian man that He's freed me to be. Yeah. Yeah. You help me with that too, by the way. Hey, praise the Lord. Yeah. Praise the Lord. And, and I'm sharing something again. I'm not doing that to puff myself up. Yeah. Just well, no. And this okay. this isn't like this is a specific question asking yeah. what helps yeah. you grow. So it's not. Right. You're not saying, well, for 17 hours every day. You know, like that's. Right. <laughs> for, for me, I like to read the scriptures along with the commentary. I'm a big nerd. I think Carol and I, we're, we're good friends because of this. But, like, I'll sit down with the Bible, I'll read through the passages, and then I'll bring a commentary and say, okay, God, here's what I feel like you're seeing. And I'll write those things down, and I'll look at a couple of commentaries and see. And, and the wonderful thing about commentaries is, like, words, like, that we brought about with the idea of sperma. Like, I, I wouldn't have known that without the help of a commentary. I would have been able to see what the word was, but not know the depth of it because somebody took time to study for days and weeks and months, just that one word. And so expounding upon what does that mean? And so it's, that's really helpful for me because I like to read it. I love to read the scriptures, but I also like to take it apart and bit by bit and say, okay, what, what was the context? What was Jesus really saying? What, was, what, was, what were the people that were listening to Jesus hearing? Because all of that can be different than the way I interpret it, the way I read it. Um, yeah. It's good. Memorizing the Bible, I don't do it as well as I like. I always struggle with discipline, but sabbatical of my prayer life, and the Holy Spirit brings it to my mind through the watches of the day and the watches of the night. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is, you know, I I really feel like it's put the school on me, uh, my heart, and uh, puts things, you know, reading things about, particularly about eugenics and Darwin and racism and that. But uh, just always remembering that the power comes from the time I have in the Word. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I guess keep the main thing, the main thing is with it. That's yeah. And that's like, I think of Samson, the source of the strength. Yeah. Is that time in the Word with the Lord. Yeah. And getting alone with the Lord Jesus, got alone. Because it's easy for, you know, things to crowd it out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Anyone else? What are the habits? I'm in the car quite a bit, so I have a number of audio books going on, and two or three of those are godly books. Mm-hmm. You know, like I'm doing one on, on marriage right now. It's Francis Chan. Oh, yeah. You know, so, so you get that one, and uh, it just helps you think through a topic, but from a, a different point of view, mm-hmm. godly point of view. Yeah. That helps. Keeps you centered. Yeah. George? I... I started a couple of years ago encouraging people. Hmm. You know, it could be even secular, or it could be a Christian that's struggling. You know, but I take extra time to encourage that person. You know, and it, it makes me feel good. But it also, you know, they walk away and they're, you know, they're they're like a, they're, they're thinking about something instead mm-hmm. of thinking about their problem. They're thinking about something yeah. that I that I've encouraged them. And I think in that, you're probably watering the seed of God in their life mm-hmm. as well. Because you're speaking as a believer, someone who loves Jesus, and 
You can get caught up in that downward spiral. Yeah. And something has to stop it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Yep. Anybody else? What are the habits? Well, something else that's been really formation. I have a lot of sermon. I've been getting sermon tapes in the mail from a church that I left 30 some years ago. Hmm. About 30 years ago. All these years. Wow. I listen to the Bible studies, you know, so often in the kitchen. And the and more that I'm listening to that, the, the closer I am. That's awesome. Steve? Uh, <clears throat> I have a spiritual friend, and, and what that does is, is ground me. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when you have a true friend that can tell you, hey, you're out of line. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and accept that. And we hold each other up to prayer. You know, through different times, you know, if you're going through a hard time, I'm going through a hard time. You know, he's saying, the downward spiral. Yeah. It's going to stop. Yeah. So you can be the friend actually say, hey, now you need to look at it this way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's that actual listening. And my my feeling is when you're well around, you can grow. Yeah. Yeah. So we we call each other in the morning, probably around roughly around six. We talk for ten minutes, about four days a week. Wow, so, that's good. Yeah, you know, you think one there, just you know, the, they kind of go away. Yeah. So, yep, it's a good habit. Mary. I'm always blessed to be home with the kids when they were little and I was growing up. So I listen to the radio in the morning until about 11 o'clock, different, two different sermons. <coughs> yeah, that was something that I did for a long time. Yeah. And, uh, but I do struggle to have discipline to a daily devotional and reading the word. Mm-hmm. Every day, and I have struggled for that for a long time. I'm not very, I don't concentrate very well, mm-hmm. and um, so. But George and I we do that sometimes, which is really good for you know. Yeah. For us to do it, we need probably need prayers that we do that more often. Yeah, I would say just be careful with shame, because the enemy would make you feel like oh well. And one of the things I remember happening is I missed I missed a two or three days, so God doesn't really I I don't need to I'll, I'll get it next week or whatever you know and like that that shame comes in um, where the enemy says well you haven't spent time with him so he doesn't love you you know which isn't true um, you know but there is that sense of okay I recognize I need to be with Jesus <laughs> you know so that's a good thing um, yeah all all those good things the enemy can find a way to make things bad you know and it's anything in excess can be completely dangerous mm-hmm. um, you know except time with the Lord <laughs> yeah. and I just said when I'm driving you know you know I yeah. you know, close like for instance if we're driving together we talk I feel the same way so yeah just a little um, aside on that um, you can pray for my my niece she um, listened and went to conferences for a certain, I'm not going to say the, uh, the pastor well-known in the, in the country, and uh, she followed him. And on fire for the Lord, she totally dumped Christianity. Mm-hmm. She dumped it. I want nothing to do with this because the man that helped her with her spiritual mentor went off. And... It, 
I've never seen this in my life. Be spiritually on fire, loving the Lord, going to China, sharing the gospel, giving up herself, then I'm done with the whole schmear. Mm -hmm. Mainly from what I've seen because she relied too much mm -hmm. on this one um, pastor. And, and you know, I won't, I don't want to say any names or anything. But, that's the problem with celebrity yeah. pastors. I yeah, mean, that's... And, and you know, I, you can pray for it's my niece. Well, okay, um, and, and yeah, her, 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 her name, I know it is, it is kind of, yeah. it, it just Tim's niece. Because if I say her name, I, I just, uh, yeah. I, I probably, she doesn't want her name spread. Okay, yeah. yeah. Okay, that's so. Who's your what? My, my niece. So then, who are, who are the people? in your life that you know when you spend time with them the seed of the Lord is growing in you now I just want to continue with that my niece was one of my great helpers to bring me closer to the Lord hmm. yeah. and, and see what I mean yeah uh, okay so so it's important for all of us just to stay close to the Lord because you don't know who's depending on you right so I'll stop there yeah I mean, there, there is an aspect of people that help you grow when you're with them, but there is the sense of dependence that you can only grow when you're with them. Yeah. That's where it's unhealthy. You yeah. should be able to grow outside of a specific individual. Um, you know, that's where the, the habits and the, the places, you know. Yeah, no, I agree. And that, that, like I said, that's the pain of a celebrity pastor is, you know, that has happened, that story has happened again and again and again in the last 10 years in our church, in our American society because of well-named pastors who uh, just are, are unrepentant and are not allowing, they're not, they're not holding short accounts for themselves. Um, yeah, who are the people? Uh, no, I'm sorry, I want to interject something. Oh, interject. I, I think this should be videotaped. It's being recorded. I mean, because... There was so much information. Yeah. I just kept writing and writing. And, writing. <laughs> and I think, you know, this series should be, you, you should be taking in this. Yeah. Well, I do have it on audio. Well, I, I don't have the capacity to try and, I can record it. Audio would be good enough. Yeah. It is audio. Yep. Yeah. Audio right now. Is it going to be on the website? Yeah, tomorrow. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. It is a lot of content. Um, and and uh, I wanted to get here tonight so that we could kind of engage with one another. Um, you know, it is it's about the right relationship. It's about the Holy Spirit planting that seed and us surrendering to a place where we can allow Him to bring about the growth. We have to water and weed. Um, you know, for me, the people in my life, I have mentors. Uh, one of the biggest ones is Ron, who developed this stuff. Um, you know, he... I don't talk to him every morning. I probably talk to him every two or three months. Uh, but he's always, he's always encouraging. Uh, he's always, every time I spend time with him, I grow. Uh, even at his dad's funeral a couple, couple weeks ago, I spent time with him and he was speaking life into me. And I'm like, dude, be quiet. This is your dad's funeral. Like, <laughs> zip your mouth and just allow people to love you for a moment. You know, and he does. But um, yeah, that, that's definitely a person for me. How about you guys? We have friends that probably, what, 40, 50 years ago, they would still keep in contact with them. Like, 
In fact, once a month we go to Bible study when we're all little. Um, so when we're with them, we feel like home anyway, mm. because the friendship, plus the, the we will even, I mean, we raise our kids, yeah. and then in the church, and, and the teachings they were giving us then. Um, so that is good to see, it's a refreshing thing when we get together. Yeah, that's good. Having people like that in your life is... I, I learned a lot from, from Ed. I like the way he interacts with people. Mm -hmm. I mean, really, I mean, I, I just love the way he interacts with people, everybody. Yeah. He's yeah. a good guy. And also, I think, um, my faith has grown because I've seen George's example mm. all my life. Mm -hmm. And um, so I keep that in, and every day I see little things and that, like you were saying before, that we don't depend on money or even cars mm -hmm. and that, but we, we do, we do, like every time we have a need, mm -hmm. he's there and, and the Lord has put in my heart, okay, mm -hmm. don't worry, I yeah. have a car for you. So I keep repeating this to George. Yeah. You know. Well, I'm um, saying he's not going to give you a BMW when you need a Toyota. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. He's having a tough time with a motor scooter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. How about, uh, how about the places? Are there, there are places that you go that you, you just feel closer to God when you're there? The back porch swing. Yeah. It's just where I do my devotions over all the summers. Yeah. No. There, I believe that we can bring a special anointing to a place when that's where we meet with the Lord. It's like the tent of meeting in the, in the scripture. Like we, we go to a place where we meet the Lord. And when the Lord's presence is there with us all the time, we go into it. We're like, oh, I feel the Lord's presence just right here. You know? Um, it's pretty cool. Anybody else? Any places that you go? When I paint, I paint. Mm. Well, on the flip side, you have the weeding. And the same exact questions can be asked on the opposite side. Um, so, what are the habits, who are the people, and where are the places that choke off the life of God, the seed of God within you. Um, you know, so what, and, and you can be as, as deep or as surface level as you want because this is night number one. <laughs> but, <laughs> but what, next week it's over, you just go deep, right? Um, but but are, there any, are there any habits um, that, uh, that choke off the life of God? And I'll go first because I think there's power in going first. Um, I, I love watching... Um, shows that deal with Vikings and knights and kings and dragons and you know Lord of the Rings and and all that kind of thing. Uh, but the further you go down the road and you start watching one of those Viking shows, all of a sudden there's sex and there's nudity. Um, you know, and with my past struggle with pornography, I just have to say no to watching those. You know, and there was a there was just that difficult time of saying, okay, well this is such a good show, can I just fast forward through it? 
You know, and there's that sense of, well, if your wife's not there, you might not. And I'm like, well, it's not even worth dipping into that segment. Um, and so there are shows that I know I would love to watch, like Game of Thrones, but I've been told several times, so much nudity in it, I just don't. I've never watched one minute of Game of Thrones. It's so frustrating um, to, to go through all the shows that are listed. Yeah. And you think, oh, now there's one. Yeah. And it's PG. Yeah. And then you, you can't even. There, I have an app on my phone. It's called IMDb. And uh, like if you if you if there's a show on Netflix or Hulu or something that uh, says it's PG PG thirteen or whatever it is, you could go on this app and see why is it that what is and and it's a secular app, but it'll tell you it has a, a parent a parental's choice button and you check it and it'll show you and so automatically I'm like well I'm not watching that one. <laughs> there was yeah. a group of people that were going to take movies and and edit them. So it like jumped over things, jumped yeah. over scenes, yeah. sanitize it. Yeah, they do have that. Well, they, I it's heard expensive. They, were, they were sued and they couldn't do it anymore. Oh, I didn't hear that. Well, this was a year or two ago. So yeah, it was a Christian app. Yeah. Yeah. Carol. Um, sometimes we don't want to go someplace, like you said, Netflix. Um, American Family Association does a really good job of putting things out. Mm-hmm. They have a show, 13 Reasons, that they and, and the top thing that they listed on these things that are happening, where there were two boys raping another teenage boy with a mop handle. Yeah. It just went down from there. Yeah. And this is the kind of things that Netflix is. Yeah. So we, we want to be careful where we go. Well, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's where you put, like with, with apps like Netflix and Hulu, you can put really strict, stringent. No, but I mean, we don't, we don't want to be associated with that kind of business. Oh, I see what you're saying. Business. Yeah, I see what you're saying. When I was when I, early on marriage, um, I was watching Prices Right. I'm sure it's G, but uh, <laughs> I realized it was causing me to couple. Yeah. You know, it was causing me to be discontented. Yeah. And uh, mm-hmm. I realized that was a problem. And as years went by, and you know, especially after so many years of going and, and studying and not watching TV, and then to come back, um, the sexualized content that I wasn't even aware of before it yeah. really bothered me. Yeah. Things that, you know, so you said, we've gone under the radar, but after yeah. several years away from it. It kind of right in your face. And I, and I realized it could be a temptation. I can't put yeah. that in front of my, my mind. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know where I heard, I forget where I heard this, but I heard that, um, I read once that harmful thoughts, thoughts towards others, um, even a harmful thought, that's like a criti- criticism directed towards something that you don't even vocalize, mm-hmm. can be harmful to a relationship. Yeah. Yeah, can destroy it. Well, and that's where, you know, Paul talks about take every thought captive. You know, that those thoughts that even, yeah, I mean, because we can have, our thought life can be the most dangerous place in the world because we don't let anyone else in. Yeah, it's, it's true. Who are the people, and don't say your spouse, that uh, choke off the life of God within you? I guess Paul. I think negative people. Yeah. It'd be really hard. No, ironically, this sounds weird, but it's the political commentaries, commentators on TV. Oh, yeah. Fox knows that they get so angry and stuff, and I start getting angry with them. And, and you know, just... 
almost hate Phil, and I go, huh, that's wrong. Yeah. Hold on, no, I'm not saying what they're, I'm just simply saying it gets me really on my horse, mm -hmm. high on my horse, and I'm thinking, start to feel self-righteous, and man, that terrible, and I'm going like, hold on. Yeah. You just bought right into the whole anger issue. And that is, that's not how the Lord works. Yeah, I stopped watching news five or six years ago because that same thing. I still don't even listen to it. I don't even watch it because it's just most of it is fear mongering on either side. Oh, both sides. Yeah. So. I, I watch a lot. I pray and watch. Yeah. And I, I want to. I want to know what's going on so I can hope well, I'll have the influence over the young people that they'll want to know what's going on mm -hmm. in the world around them. And I read. What's that? I read. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Reading seems to be a little bit less commentative because you have to be a little bit more brief to give, here's what's going on. You don't have as much opinion as you do in a 30-minute television segment. So I do a lot of news reading as well. But... Um, a lot less watching. I'm really, I'm really praying for the, uh, the commentators. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the Democrats. I'm not, yeah. You would say we're not happy with the others, but I thought, well, I would just put on my heart to pray for the others. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm watching them and praying. Anybody else? Habits, people, or places that you find are choking off? The life of God. Usually, you know, when you think in the past, the things you have done, mm -hmm. um, that you think, oh wow, you know, how can you know what happened to me, or you know, the things you. I'm going to in your family and things. Yeah. And you wish you know you you have done a different way or approach a different a different way. But um there is a consolation from the Lord that says, Okay, you were young inexperienced mm -hmm. and all you know, but I have forgiven you. Yeah. So that alone I mean, when it comes to the, the habits and the people and the places that are nourishing the seed of God within us, we should run to those, those habits and those people and those places. Um, if we know that those, those people and those things really connect us to God, that we should seek them out. We should go after them. We should lean and live into them. Um, and we're going to do later in this, in this series, we'll be talking about the, the disciplines. What are the spiritual disciplines that are part of habits that we can add into our lives that will nourish us? And there might be disciplines that we've never tried or never known 
that I want to challenge us to try and get to know. Because uh, some people are, are wired differently than others, you know, uh, where Carol and I can read and look at a commentary that might not be someone's cup of tea. You know, they might need to listen to a sermon uh, rather than read all of that content. Um, but so run to those things. But then the, the habits, the people and the places that you notice are choking off the life of God. The challenge is to run away from them. Uh, and when you notice that a habit um, is beginning to creep in and you can feel like, oh, I know I shouldn't be doing this. I know that this is a habit that might not be technically sinful, but I know that it's leading me away uh, rather than towards. Uh, then, then just let it go. Release that habit. Um, you know, if there's lots of negative people that you are surrounded around, find a way to get away from the negativity. Um, you know, wear earmuffs to work or something like that. But no, no you can't do that. But, but you understand what I'm saying. The, go- the goal is to allow the, the garden to be set to where the water and the weed, the watering is happening and the weeding is happening. You're allowing God to take those things out. So run to the good, run from the bad. Um, you know, but one of the things that we like to do with our stymied growth is we like to blame others. We like to say, well, it's their fault that I'm not growing. It's this person or that person or it's this problem or, the, you know, this person, I can't forgive them because of what they did. I'm so bitter and so angry and it's their fault. Uh, but the reality is, is that in discipleship, we have to own our own mess. Uh, it's one of the biggest parts about repentance is here's the mess I made, Lord. I need help cleaning it up. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like the story I told about my kid who kept throwing up and pooping on themselves. I needed to be the one to go and help clean them up. But if he wouldn't let me, then well, I still would. I'd force him because I'm not going to have poop in my house. But you understand, like there's that sense of, of saying, okay, I, I need to own if, if that kid would have been like, oh, well, it was Amelia, or oh, dad, you did it, then <laughs> that's not helpful. Um, but sometimes we do that. When we sin and we mess up, we make a mess. We're like, oh, it was their fault. This happened. Uh, look at the book of Genesis, the beginning of sin. When God says, what happened? Adam, he blames two people in one sentence. He said, this woman that you gave me. <laughs> Only a man would find a way to blame two people in one sentence. <laughs> right? I mean, so like, it's really easy for us to, to make a blame on it, but we need to own it. Um, stop rationalizing. It's really easy when we're in the midst of habits that are not sinful. Like watching prices Right is not sinful. But it's what it does to you. Are you, are you, is it creating that covetousness within you? Discontent. But, yeah, this discontent. And we can rationalize. Well, it's not a sin. It's not bad. It's price is right. It's as G as G can get, right? Um, well, we can't rationalize things away. We have to say, okay, this, this really is what's happening. This really is the danger to my soul and to my heart. And it's taking me away from God rather than drawing me closer. Um, and, and sometimes rationalization looks like this, where you can look at your spouse or your friend or someone at church and say, well, my sin's not as bad as theirs. I mean, they need to deal with their stuff, right? And they have no idea you're thinking this, but you're just looking at them and saying, oh, I'm just going to rationalize. I'm fine. Like, I'm okay. That person, though, Jesus, 
Bring your conviction to them. Leave me alone. Right? Um, we do that. Uh, and so, you know, what are the habits? Who are the people? Where are the places that, uh, that nourish or choke off the life of God? And then really it comes down to uh, we have to come out of denial. Uh, there are times in our walk with Christ that we deny, uh, both deny Christ and we deny our growth. Um, we might not be like Peter saying, I deny you, Jesus, but by our actions and by our, our decisions, by the people and the places and the habits that we engage ourselves in, uh, we can rationalize, we can blame shift, and we can deny that we have a problem. Um, you know, I, I think I told the story about forgiveness from the pulpit not too long ago about my first church where the pastor really just kind of abused me with his words. And I held on to bitterness for a really long time. Uh, I denied I had a problem. But it was eating at me. It was chewing at me. Um, you know, and, and the last thing I wanted to do was call this guy and say, hey, I've been bitter at you for a long time. Can you forgive me? Because I felt, well, he was the one who offended me. That's why I'm bitter. Well, no, I'm bitter because of myself. He didn't cause me to be bitter. He had the inciting incident that I chose to own to make me bitter. Um, but I had to stop denying that I had an issue, and I had to go, and I had to admit my sin, and I had to ask for forgiveness, whether he would ask for forgiveness or not. Um, that's what that idea of coming out of denial is. And I want to leave us with a final quote. I know we have like... We have a couple more minutes, about 10 minutes to, to hang out and talk, and that's good. But there's, there's this book, Surrender to Love. This guy, David Benner, he's a Christian psychologist, which is a really interesting field um, because he deals with the, the heart matters of Christianity but also the psychological uh, de dealings of a human. Um, but he, he said this, the, the deep human longings for surrender to perfect love can never be satisfied by anyone other than God. Human love, no matter how noble, is always contaminated to some extent by self-interest. And the reason why I share that is exactly for the reason what Tim said, is that we have to rely upon growth from the Lord, and we cannot attach ourselves to people only to get us growth. It is about our relationship with God. It's about our connection to Him. It's our surrender to the love that He brings, because no human love can ever match the love of God. And so it's that resting from that place as we, as we started, we're ending. It's living in the place of being loved, not living in the place of trying to get love. Because we already have it. We have to live from the place of being loved, not live to seek to get love. Because um, all of human love is that way, right? It's that sense of I give you something, you love me. Uh, now, it's... It doesn't always feel that way, uh, but there is some semblance to that. You know, even in marriage, love can begin to, to dissipate because we're not loving our wives and they're not respecting us or that cycle that we see. And so there's that things are conditional in some aspect, whether we want them to be or not. But with the Lord, it's unconditional. Um, so questions, thoughts, arguments, agreements. And it's a lot, right, George? Yeah, it is. I'm, I'm really thankful that these things have come up, even some of the definitions. Mm -hmm. I, I like the precise definitions. Plethora. Plethora, yes. <laughs> <laughs>
Frank. Yeah, Frank is a, a plethora joke. It's, it's <laughs> and I do have handouts. I will just say one thing. Yeah. And, and I, I do not want to usurp yeah. conversations, but I just want to say this one thing. The Lord did something for me in a serendipitous type way about 35 years ago. Where drive, Susan and I were driving down to South Carolina, and I had used the restroom. I stopped in. University of North Carolina. Susan using the restroom. Now women do take a little long, you know, get ready. And so I'm looking in the library and I pull out this longitudinal study about marriage. Long-term study. Hmm. And I always go to that and read, you know, I was going through the whole thing and look at the, the final conclusion and so forth. The greatest love you can give to a spouse and a friend is to have reasonable expectations on them. Hmm. If you don't have reasonable expectations, that made me think of it, of your spouse and of your friends and of the people you're with, you're always going to be judgmental and disappointed. Yeah. And that, that statement there reiterates the same thing. Yeah. The Lord gave me that 35 years ago, and boy, has that helped me so much with so much to get over such so many problems I had previous to that about relationships with others. So I just threw that in there. Thanks for letting me say that. Yeah, yeah. Potty breaks can be good. Yeah. <laughs> Do we have a few moments for a prayer request? Yeah.